0: You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. Many thanks to the Campus Ministries team for leading us in worship and inviting me to speak with you today. I had the great trial of being born the youngest in my family or as my older siblings prefer to refer to me, I am and always will be the baby of the family. Does anyone out there share this condition of being the youngest in your family? Yes, make some noise, please. I see you, I see you. Now, just a little math. There can only be one youngest in every family, so let it be known to the older siblings out there that your younger siblings are, in fact, a gift. Can I get an amen? Amen. Mm. Um, But, you know, just to see the other side, do I have any older siblings in the room today? Yes? Okay, there's a lot of you. And is Marva here? Marva Bruno? Okay, Marva, this is for you. Any, Any only children? in the room? Yes. Yes, all are welcome in this place. Okay, now, I don't want to activate the angst of the older siblings in this space, but let me tell you, I grew up suffering the indignity of being perpetually told by my older siblings that as the baby of the family, I was spoiled, I got it easy, And it was continuously unfair that I got to do things at a way younger age than they ever did. Well, as a youngest child who married another youngest child and now has two children, I am here today to tell you with the power vested in me by this podium and pedestal that all the things my older siblings complained about regarding the youngest child, true. I mean, here is the thing that I have learned as a parent. You want to do things as a whole family. And if you wait for every kid to hit a certain age before they can experience X, you'll end up going on separate vacations, eating separate desserts, and spending family movie night screening different age-appropriate films in separate rooms. And there is only so many years of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse that one can take. So in our household, the inequity of sibling privileges has primarily manifested itself in our six-year-old getting to watch more mature movies than we would have ever permitted our 11-year-old to watch at that same age. I am sorry. For the last few months, our family has been watching the Star Wars series, which some of you might have picked up based on our themed costumes at Trunk-or-Treat last night. Thank you, SGA, and all who participated. Are there any Star Wars fans out there? Oh, All right, great. You'll actually know what I'm talking about then. Uh, it is a great series, and it's not just entertaining. There are a lot of good life lessons to be extracted and you would be surprised at the kinds of conversations it generates in our household, ask me later. One of the things I really like about the Star Wars series is that it's not always clear who is a villain and who's a hero. If you're familiar with the series, think characters like Palpatine, Anakin Skywalker, Ben Solo, Count Dooku, Boba Fett, And the list goes on. I've found that just when you've put a character in a good guy box or a bad guy box, they'll do something to show you they're actually not the person you thought they were. Oftentimes, they're neither the villain you expected nor the hero you hoped for. I used to read the Bible trying to sort out the heroes from the villains. Which characters am I supposed to condemn and which am I supposed to try to imitate? The problem with that approach is that it doesn't take long to read about a so-called biblical hero who often proves to be as messed up and muddled as all the rest. So who then should we emulate? Case in point, in the book of Hebrews, Jacob, the character in our text today, is named as one of the great heroes of faith. But if we've read the chapters leading up to today's text, we see that Jacob is pretty objectively despicable. Our text today begins with Jacob running away for his life because he's ruthlessly betrayed his father to steal from his brother, and his very life is in danger because he has crossed too many lines. How is someone like Jacob a hero of faith? Quite candidly, Jacob was always one of my least favorite biblical characters, and not just because he gives younger siblings a bad rap, I think Jacob shows up as arrogant, entitled, selfish, and super sketchy. For most of the chapters of his story, he is, to put it bluntly, a self-preserving punk. And yet, Jacob eventually becomes known as a hero of faith, although we're not there yet. In our text today, God comes to Jacob when he is still sneaky and self-absorbed, which signifies to us that God's seeking out Jacob cannot be about Jacob earning God's favor and therefore must be showing us something about the character and way of God. Listen again to what the Lord says to Jacob in that encounter. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you." Jacob has done nothing to merit God's favor, and yet God freely promises bountiful blessing not just for Jacob, but for all peoples on earth who will be blessed through him and his offspring. We now know, on the other side of generations of offspring, that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, would eventually be born as a descendant in Jacob's line, the ultimate blessing for all peoples on earth. But how remarkable that God should choose to tie himself so closely in blood and body to such a scoundrel as was Jacob. Jacob, who upon receiving God's promise of unconditional favor, presence, prosperity, protection, and real estate, tries to make another bargain. Nevertheless, God's covenant faithfulness is not contingent on Jacob's getting it. God made this promise to Abraham, then to his son, Isaac, and now to his grandson, Jacob. And when God makes promises, he sees them through to completion. We'll discover in later chapters that God continues to pursue Jacob in love and does not stop. Friends, our God is a covenant keeper who loves and blesses with unreserved grace for undeserving people. Nothing in Jacob's demeanor shows he is worthy of the goodness God offers, yet God gives it not because of what Jacob has done but because of who God is. Where God loves, he loves lavishly. In the New Testament, Jesus, descendant of Jacob, tells the parable of the lost sheep, in which a good shepherd realizes that 99 of his sheep are safe and secure in their pen, but one delinquent sheep has wandered off and away from the fold. Rather than content himself with the 99 compliant sheep, the shepherd goes off in search of that lost, wandering sheep and does not rest until it is found and secure. Our God is a God who pursues and loves and chooses to bless even the one who has wandered. When God makes promises... There is nothing that can stall or stop his faithfulness, not even stubborn, self-preserving punks. My initial dislike of Jacob aside, I wonder if I, if we, don't sometimes feel just a bit too much like a Jacob Like, maybe we are really too broken or flawed. Or if people really knew what we were really like, they would turn away and never look back. But I think what God is trying to show us, it is that just as he saw Jacob as he was, he sees us. He meets us where we are, sometimes in the most unlikely of places, and says, I see you, I bless you, not for what you have done, but for who you are and whose you are. Jacob did not deserve the love, grace, and blessing of God, and nor do we. And I think this is why, maybe, one of the names of God we see in the Bible is the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is the God of the undeserving. The God of Jacob is the God who gathers in the lost so that we may be found. The God of Jacob is the God who inscribes his image in all human beings, giving us each inherent dignity and value that cannot be stripped away. And so we, too, are called to this love. Our text is not about showing us how to live like Jacob, but how to love like God. Thomas Merton, a 20th century Catholic monk and social activist, puts it this way. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business, and in fact, it is nobody's business. What we are asked to do is to love. And this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. The God of Jacob is a God whose love transforms. And perhaps that is another takeaway from this text. It can be easy to see what is broken and imperfect and irritating in others and in ourselves, But where there is brokenness, there is the promise of something greater that we are each called to receive. Jacob was a sneaky, swindling scoundrel, and God loved him and was calling him to live into the blessing he was meant for. And so we too receive that blessing as people also grafted into God's covenant. God says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about Campus Ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu chapel.